Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout your week and everywhere you go with the gracelife.church app. It's free and available wherever you download your apps. Let's go to this week's message in our series on the kingdom, the thing Jesus talked about more than anything else and how this impacts the way we live today. All right, look around. It's a little bit crowded, isn't it? All right, I want everybody to say this with me. Twelve. Ready? Twelve. Which conveniently happens to be the time of another service. Just kidding. Uh, But actually not. Here's what I want you to know. Twelve is the number of times you're going to come to this building before you go over there. Come on, twelve more Sundays here. Yep. God willing, but we hope he is. All right, with that being said, though, in all seriousness, some of you, if you would, pray about, think about, for 12 Sundays, 9 a.m. or 12 p.m., because this service is really max. This is where most of our guests come to, and we, of course, always want to make room for our guests. So if possible for 12 Sundays, if you can sacrifice getting up a little earlier or doing brunch before church and coming to the noon service, that's your choice. 12. Everybody can do that? Yeah? Think about it. All right, there you go. Okay, so hey, we are wrapping up a series today that we've been doing for a few weeks. Today is the end of a series on the kingdom of God. This is part six. And so uh, if you've missed any of this, you can go back and catch it online. But I'm going to do just a real quick walkthrough of where we are. So we began in part one answering the question, how did we get here? And by here, we're talking about a broken world. Everything seems messed up. Nothing seems like it should be sinful humanity. It turns out that God gave everything to man and then man gave it away. I know all of you would love to slap Adam and Eve, wouldn't you? You know, we give them a bad rap sometimes. I know people are, they've told me before, I can't wait to get to heaven. First person I'm looking for is Adam. I'm going to punch him or Eve. I'm going to smack her, whatever it is. Y'all need to know we've been doing what they did for all of history. Don't blame them. They're they're no worse. I I think they're actually going to hide when we all get, they're going to be like hiding behind a tree or something. Oh, there's all of humanity. They're out to get me. Okay, so anyway, that was for free. That's not in the notes. Hey, part two. Part two, we talked about the fact God's not leaving it broken. God is bringing his kingdom upon the earth. He is doing plan A, plan A, plan A. He's always been enacting plan A. He told us at the very beginning, Genesis 3, when it all broke, he turned right around and told us how he's going to fix it. And that is there would be someone born of a woman who would be the king, who would establish his kingdom and crush Satan's head. He told us that was going to happen. He's always been doing that. And then in part three, we looked at the fact that our king, came to earth, he was tempted as a man, and he was able to be victorious over that temptation. And the good news for you and me, because too often we say, yes, I'm just a sinner. I'll be victorious over sin when I'm forgiven and go to heaven. But what we need to know, and if you're struggling with temptation, go back and hear part three, is because our king was able to resist the temptation, we too can resist the temptation. It's not just about being forgiven someday. He gave us the answers. He gave us the model for how to be victorious over sin right here and right now. In part four, uh, Air Force Chaplain, good friend of mine, Nick Lepresto, talked to us about why the king would come. 
and die for us. A perfect and sinless king would die to bring us into his kingdom, which really it all hinges on that. If Jesus didn't die, there's no point in talking about the kingdom of God because we wouldn't be a part of it. What a great gift that was. And then last week in part five, Chris Ellison shared with us these incredibly uh, practical steps. If we're going to be kingdom of darkness crushing members of God, which we've said we are, then we need to have the right tools in place to do that. And so that brings us, of course, to the final part today. And so the final part, I think we have to answer a question that has been touched on but kind of lingering out there. It's one of the most common questions that I deal with in one form or another as a pastor. People are always rewording it but bringing the same dilemma. I've met people who have said no to being a Christian just because of this question and some wording of it once again. And it's basically this. Okay, so if Jesus is the king and Jesus is establishing his kingdom upon the earth, then, then why aren't some things making more sense? Why aren't some things more black and white than they are? Why is there so much gray? And, and if you're like me, I'm one of those incredibly black and white people. I know some of you are, so come on, somebody give me some props this with me. There's got to be, yeah, that was weak, but uh, I know I'm not a lot. When I first got a, a teaching job right out of college, I was in my early 20s, and I used to be very, very principled. I'd like to say I'm still principled. I've just learned a few lessons in life. I, I thought that being black and white is what you had to do to be principled. I, I thought that, that I could just see where everybody else was wrong, and they just needed to agree with me. And so God gave me uh, this job where I was the assistant band director and this other person who was very different from me was the head band director. And uh, we, we had a lot of tension, a lot of struggles. And I didn't like how he would do some things and some decisions he would make. And, and sometimes it seemed like he wasn't very principled. That's what I would say. Now look, he's a great guy and I'm not saying he was wrong. I'm, I'm talking about my perspective at that point in life. And so one day as we're driving along, after we've had a lot of battles back and forth, he just looks at me and says, Jimmy, you know what your problem is? You think everything should be black and white, but the world is gray. And I was not about to concede, those of you that know me, I'm, I'm a little bit competitive. And, and I just thought he is saying the world is gray because that defends his lack of principles and his lack of structure and maybe too much favoritism and making things up on the go and and he should be a lot more like me so I did not concede his point and since I refused to concede his point he said well life is going to be hard for you <laughs> Joe's known me a while you think he was right about some things you see it turns out he was I didn't know how right he was going to be he was right about relationships because come on no relationship is black and white. There's a lot of gray. Like, how could you do that? Well, I don't know how you could do that. You just got to forgive. You got to love even when they're not lovable. That's, you know, my critical heart. I, I had a very critical spirit uh, that it took a long time for God to beat out of me. I just thought I had the gift of being right and everybody else had the, <laughs> the gift of being wrong. I just thought, you know, that was God's, that's what he was going to use me for in, in his kingdom was to tell people, if you do it my way, it's just going to go better. I know I'm not alone in this, just so you know. I've met some of you. I get your emails. Hey, pastor, you know what so-and-so? No, 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 stop it. It's critical spirit. You see, a critical spirit, though, what you do is you look, you see black, you see white, then you see the rest of the world in gray, and you judge. And you judge. That's another sermon. Some of you just got finished for today. That's all y'all needed to hear right there. It shows up in one place I never predicted, especially as he said it, because in all honesty, I was ahead of him in this area, and that is faith. I was a more committed 
and, and life-giving follower of Jesus than he was. I, and I'm just saying that's where we were at that time in our struggle. And so I could have never thought that he would know more about what it would mean to follow God. Because, see, if you're a black and white person and, and the world is just this or that and there is no gray, then when you, you bring that into your faith, it, it, it's like this. Because the world's black and white, I pray he answers. Come on, somebody's got to say amen to that. That's what we all wish. I pray he answers and he does it in one hour. I don't even have to wait till the next day. If we see everything black and white in our faith, it's Jesus conquered Satan, so why is there still suffering? There shouldn't be any more. The world should just be the way it should be. If, if you have a black and white attitude towards your faith, it's I'm a Christian, so my life should be easier. I, I could, come on, you're with me. Somebody, could, right? So I think that's where we've got to end this series today is addressing, wait a minute, if Jesus is king, if God's kingdom is upon the earth, if Satan is defeated, if Jesus died and rose again and is now alive, seated at the right hand of the Father, then why do you and I live with so much gray around us? Come on, does somebody want that question answered? I don't think we could do justice to talking about the kingdom of God if we didn't end with that. So we're really going to uh, just touch on one key passage today uh, that, it, honestly, I could just tell you, if possible, memorize because this is a passage you're going to need on some very gray, confusing days in your life. You're going to need to go back to this. If we could have given you a two or three uh, verse list to memorize for the kingdom of God, this would have made that list. This would be one of those, those few things that you need to take away from this series. And it comes out of Hebrews chapter two. They're going to put it on the screen for you right here. And it says this, you have crowned him with glory and honor. We're talking about what the father did for Jesus. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything everything, right? Black and white. Everything in subjection under his feet. And, and again, no gray, black and white. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, just to clarify black and white, he left nothing outside his control. I mean, that sounds to me like it should be a black and white world we live in, right? We just snap our fingers and say, bow to Jesus and everything works. But you have to finish reading. But at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Wait a minute. This is starting to melt my brain. So Jesus is king. Everything has been put under his feet. Everything is subjection to him. There is nothing that Jesus does not rule, and but we don't see it in our lives today. Can somebody explain that? It's a tension that we live in, and most of us don't like tension, right? Now, come on, we, we love to solve tensions. Like, let's just figure out how to make this problem go away. Let's make everything the way it should be. But unfortunately, we live in the tension between what I say is the already and the not yet. It's already done. Jesus already died. Everything is already put in subjection to Jesus' feet, but we do not yet see it. We do not yet experience it. We live in this already not yet tension. And hopefully at this point, some of you are going, uh, that still doesn't make any sense to me. Good, because I want to give you this, this picture that happened even in our own history that makes this really easy to understand. Let's go back in time a little bit to June 6, 1944. It was D-Day. The Allied invasion in Normandy Beach and a few other places, as we began to push upon the Western Front of, of the Nazi forces at this time also Russia's pushing, pushing on the eastern front of the Nazi forces and the Germans knew at that point it was over. It was the beginning of the end. 
They no longer were making forward advances. They were only making retreats. They were shrinking in instead of expanding out. Everyone who can look back in history can say at that point, for all intents and purposes, the war was over. Victory for the Germans was no longer an option. And yet, they had not yet given up the fight. And so even though it was already over, they continued raging the battle for another 11 months. It was not yet seen across the European continent. Does that make sense? Does that kind of explain how we can be in a tension between, as far as you can tell, it's already done, but it's not yet experienced. And this is what we live in sometimes, is there are things that are already accomplished in the heavenly realms. There are things that are already declared by, by God, but we do not yet see them manifest upon the earth at this time. You see, Satan is defeated, but he's fighting a few last battles just to see what damage he can cause in his last days, just to see who he can take with him as he goes down. Which leads us to a really good question. Okay, great, I get it. But why? Why is there such a gap? Why, why didn't God just, boom, let's just answer, answer this gap right now. Why does this gap have to be what appears so far to be about 2,000 years? Why couldn't it have been shorter? Why can't it just end tomorrow? Why can't we bring all of the not yet into today and solve this problem? Would somebody like to experience that? Well, this kind of comes down to another analogy I want to give you. What it really it comes down to is there's a battle. There's a battle in the spiritual, but the truth is that battle plays out in the physical. And it is between these two words, uh, try to stick with me on this, because uh, I'll do my best to make this as, uh, as much sense as possible, but there's a battle between the abstract and the physical. Maybe you like the word concrete. There's a battle between the abstract and the concrete. What I mean is there's a battle between the abstract rule of governments and the actual territory of what they will rule. And let me give you another analogy. This will make more sense as well. Let's all go back now to 1776. There was a battle between two governments fighting over a physical concrete territory. And so if you had been here on July 3rd, 1776, somebody would have said, this is England for all practical purposes, right? But on July 5th, 1776, some would have said, this is the United States while others would have said, no, 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 this is still England, buddy. You need to figure that out. You see, what was happening at that point is there were two abstract ideologies. They each had a flag. They each had names of leaders. They each had declarations of what they believed, and we call them governments, and they were out there. You can't really touch one. Look, I get it. You want sometimes to reach out and touch your government, don't you? Yeah, yeah. No, you can't. You can't actually touch a government because it's an abstract concept. But then there's a physical world in which they rule. And a battle ensued to see which one of these abstracts is going to rule this physical. And I want you to imagine Thomas Jefferson running into the Continental Congress. And he's excited because he just got the ability to travel in time. Okay, we need to back up and just remember as they were fighting the American Revolution, they didn't know how it was going to turn out. You and I do. Sometimes we don't understand the risk that they took. But if you could just imagine for a minute, maybe it would have made life a little easier for some of them. I bet some people who were on the fence would have gotten off the fence and, and joined over to our side of becoming the United States of America. If Thomas Jefferson had run into the Continental Congress and said, hey, everybody, I traveled in time yesterday and I went to 1950. 
And I got a book. There was a book there. They call it history. And it's about us. And I'm here to tell you, we're going to win. And everybody goes, yeah. And then some of the people who were voting to stay with England would go, oh, I better change my vote, you know. And they jump back over, and it would have gone like that. Here's the good news for you and I today is we live in the tension between the already and the not yet, and we watch the government of God and the government of Satan battle for our world, for our lives. We don't have to travel in time to get that book. Come on, that was worth an amen. You see what I'm saying? We don't have to travel in time. It's right here. And the good news for you and me is gray is going away. We're not going to live in gray forever. Black and white is coming upon the earth just like it should. Let me show you this out of Revelation, out of the very end of the book. It says, then I saw it then. Can we just stop and just think about that for a second? We live in the tension between the already done, not yet seen. And God in a vision allowed a guy named John to look forward to then, to where you and I will be someday, and to see so that he could come back and write it for us. That's what it says. If you've never read Revelation, that's what this is all about, is God saying, look, my people are going to need something to hold on to. It's almost like when you're really hungry and the, the waitress tells you it's going to be an hour wait and you've got that smell, that steak on the grill that says this hour will be worth it. You just, the aroma keeps you, okay, I'll wait an hour because the smell is too good to walk away from. God said they're going to need something that is going to give them eyes to see what is coming then. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. That's where you and I are right now. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This sounds like where we started the series, original creation, back at the very beginning. Genesis, God saying, I'm going to create a people for myself. I will be their God. They will be with my, I will be their, they will be my people. I will be their God. Sorry about that. You know, you just, too many words. Eventually something's coming out wrong, right? They will be my people. I will be their God. I will rule through them. They will rule upon creation. Everything will be perfect. It will be black and white. This is the way it should be. This is what God's going to do. Once again, a perfect world. I'm talking black and white perfect. You guys know what I'm saying? Black and white perfect. God is with his people. People are with God. There is no gray. There is no enemy. There is no confusion. There is no distortion. God will rule man. Man will rule creation. God rules through man. Black and white is coming. I'm glad somebody's excited about this. But we still live in the tension between the already and the not yet. We live in the tension between the already and... Wait a minute. How can we live? Why do we live in a tension between the already done and the not yet seen? And the answer is very simple. Jesus did the already. And you and I are doing the not yet seen. We still have a job to do. Jesus' job is done. Ours is not. You see, too often we think we're waiting on God. Come on, God, why won't you do this? Come on, God, why won't you do this? Come on, God, why is there so much suffering in the world? Come on, God, why, 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 why? And God's saying, come on, you. Let me show you this out of Ephesians 3. Jesus' job is done. Ours is not. The Bible says his purpose, God's purpose, was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God. What is the manifold wisdom of God? It's what we talked about in, in, in part two of the series. How is God fixing this? 
What is God's plan to make all things right? God's manifold wisdom should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to the eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you catch that? Look at what's underlined. Accomplished. Past tense verb, otherwise known as already done. Jesus did it. Jesus died. Jesus saved mankind. Jesus rose again. Satan has no power over us anymore. Did you catch the part that says, should be made known? That's not past tense. That's active. Sorry for the grammar lesson for some of you. No, not middle school again. I hated that. <laughs> should be made known. We have a job to do that is not done. It is who we are and what we are supposed to be doing right now. And then some of us missed the words I didn't underline. I want to show it to you again. Check this out. His purpose was that now through the church. Who's the church? There you go. All right, let me, can I preach through this verse for a second? Let me just paraphrase it as we go. God's purpose was that right now in the tension between the already, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, everything has been accomplished, and the not yet, we do not yet see a new heaven and a new world. Jesus has not come back. It is not perfect. It is still gray. Somehow now in the gray, God's purpose would be that through the church, through you and me, through the people who are members of the kingdom living on the earth at any point in time. If anybody ever says, what is the church? The church is not a building. We've made that clear time and time again. This is a warehouse that we rent, and then we decided we needed a bigger, better warehouse. Isn't that funny? So we bought a big warehouse, and they're, they're renovating that right now, and we're going to move into that warehouse. And it's a building. This is a building. That's a building. It's not a church. The church is the people of God, the people who are in his kingdom that are reigning, living upon the earth at any time. That's who we are. That is the church. And what does it say that he's going to do now through us? Well, the manifold wisdom of God, God's plan for fixing everything, God's answer for everything that we face should be made known, should be made known to who? To the rulers and the authorities and the heavenly realms. Somebody needs to think about this because you know what we do? We say, oh my gosh, another Monday, another week, it's like three months until vacation. I can't stand my job. I hate this. I can't believe this. I've even got to work Saturday. It's a six-day week. This is miserable. And that's what we think our existence is. And what we need to do is wake up one day and just realize, wait a minute. As I wake up today, there are angels in heaven. There are demons in hell. There are principalities over darkness. There are archangels that are looking down at you. And they're not looking at a human who hates his job. They're looking at a person in the kingdom of God saying, what are you going to do today? What are you going to do to bring the not yet into the already? What are you, I, I don't know how this is going to work. And this is the thing. See, we look at things and just go, oh, life is miserable. But they're thinking, man, this guy right here, I've got this guy trapped in sin. This guy's trapped in darkness. And then you wake up and instead of going, oh, another Monday, you go, yes, another day to talk to my coworker who's yet to make Jesus his king. He didn't give in Friday. He didn't give in Thursday, but I prayed for him all weekend and I'm gonna give it another shot. And this time at lunch on Monday, he finally says, I need to make Jesus my king. And all of those forces looking down upon you, the rulers and authorities go, how did that happen? 
We had him locked in addiction. We had him locked in darkness. How did you get him? We don't know how you did it. That's how, because they're looking at now through the church, through you and me. That's worth getting out of bed tomorrow, don't you think? Somebody should be a little bit excited. I thought I preached that better than that. should be made known through the church to those rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. You are way more than you think you are according to the eternal purpose. Eternal purpose? Yeah, God's not making up a new one. God's not confused. God's not surprised. God knew the already and the not yet tension would exist. That's why he left his church here. That's why he sent his son to redeem us. That's why Jesus said, hey, by the way, I'm going to go away for a little bit. You're going to do greater things than I did because if you'll hang out for just a little while, the spirit of God is going to come upon you and you will have power to be my witnesses all throughout the world, all throughout time, because it's my Father's eternal purpose. It's the purpose he planned for us before the beginning of the world that I've already accomplished, just so you know. I've done the heavy lifting. I've done the hard part. Has anybody ever lifted weights? I'm making this up as I go. Anybody lifts weights, and you know you get a spotter? Like, you're the one on the bench going, oh, and then there's that person behind you that's got, like, two fingers on the water. going, okay, that's us. That's, a, that's the awesome part. Jesus is the one that's already done the heavy lifting. All we got to do is go, okay, you know, I'm just doing the easy job of saying, let me tell you about one who died for you and rose again. That is who we are, you see. As the church upon the earth, as believers in Jesus, as members of the kingdom, it is our role to advance the kingdom of God upon the earth. That's why we're here. And maybe another way to say that phrase is like this. It is our job to bring the abstract rule, the government of the king into this physical world. And if we are going to do that, then there are two, maybe I could use the word realms. Maybe that's too big of a word. Maybe I should just say two areas that we need to look at. If we're going to bring God's abstract rule, it has to start first with ourselves. It has to start first with ourselves. You can't take the rule of God out there if it's not here. Because first of all, you're not a carrier of it. It's like trying to infect somebody with a disease you don't have. The rule of God's got to be right here. It starts with our souls. That's our mind, our will, and our emotions. You know, if you missed part three, you might want to go back and catch that one about how we do have power over the temptation of sin. And one of the greatest powers that we have over temptation is at some point, it doesn't taste good anymore. At some point. See, I used to drink a six-pack or more of Dr. Pepper every day. I'd, I've made lots of jokes about Dr. Pepper. I've, I've just thought it was like, you know, the nectar of heaven or something like that. But I've given up sodas for the most part. I've given up a lot of sugary drinks for the most part. I cannot drink an entire can of Dr. Pepper anymore. The taste has changed. I, I can't handle that much sugar at one point anymore. And, and so what happens is our desires change, our will change, our, our, our thinking changes, everything changes as our soul takes on the rule of our king instead of our own rule. I want this, I want it now, I want it this way. I want what the world has to offer. No, no, no. If you're struggling with his rule being in your soul and you, you missed part three, that's really what that was all about. I want to encourage you to go back and get that. His rule has to be in our lives. That means our circumstances, our priorities, our calendar, our spending, our schedule. We have to look at our checkbook and go, where is the king? Is that a fair question? You, you and your spouse should do that. You should sit down and go, look at this and show me our king. 
You should look at your calendar and your schedule and say, show me our king. He's got to rule our lives before we can take him to rule anything else. He has to rule our worship. I know we like to think that the word worship is reserved for this room. This is like Sunday morning activity. That's what worship is. No, worship is the center of your focus and your attention. It's the center of your life. And, and we worship any time that we get stuck meditating upon something and cheering for something and wanting something and bringing something into our being and even raising our hands and going, yes, they scored. Come on, somebody with me. I do a little bit of Duke worship about six months of the year. I, it's, I'm just going to admit it. Well, you guys do Gamecock worship. I don't want to hear it. Everybody's got their thing. And some of us don't worship sports. We just worship our kids or we worship our belongings or we worship whatever. Yeah, it's, it's not throwing stones because there's not a person in here who is not worshiping something on the earth, and, and including me. So it's just acknowledging who we are and saying we've got to bring God's rule into that. And once we begin to surrender this and what this controls, then we can take God's rule to our world. See, here's the thing, and this is some good news, by the way. Satan no longer occupies creation unhindered. There was a moment, there was one very brief moment, right after Adam and Eve gave it all away, they were confused, there was nobody else, no, nobody, there was nobody new. He thought he had won, he thought he had it right, God hadn't told him the plan yet. There was a moment where he, he had creation unhindered. There's been a few other times of extreme darkness throughout history, we could say, ah, it was close. <laughs> but the good news, man, the church is doing something on the earth today. Powerful things are happening upon the earth today. And Satan no longer occupies creation unhindered. No, actually, there is a rebel force of his followers taking back this land because they believe in their king. Come on, any Star Wars fans in here? Yeah, that was weak. I'm not George Lucas, so I don't care. You can be weak on that point. But when I watch Star Wars, I think that's us. We're the ones that are fighting what against what seems like this big evil force. How could we ever stand against them? But you know what I love in the Rogue One movie is they didn't care if they were going to, to, to make it or not make it. They were, they were just going to die for the cause. They were going to be a rebel force that says, you will not rule our universe. You know, and some of us, we feel like the Death Star is hanging over our house, don't you? Like someday you're like, that's not the moon. That's the Death Star, man. Like it's, everything's against me. I, I'm not even leaving my house today. There are days you feel like that, but we've got to remember Satan does not occupy creation unhindered anymore. But you'd say, okay, cool. That's good news. So why can't we collapse this time between the already and the not yet? Well, one of the key reasons that we struggle to bring God's rule into the world, truth be told, is because many of us don't believe why we're here. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you in advance, I'm about to hurt somebody's feelings, but I'm not going to call you out. So as long as you keep a straight face, nobody's going to know who. You see, there was a survey done in the church world a, a few years back. I think it's probably about 10 years old now. Uh, maybe a little, I, I, don't, I don't remember actually. And on this survey, they, they asked people who went to church. They went to church people. They didn't go to people at Burger King. They went to people at church. And they said one question. Why is the church here? Why, why is the church here? And 89% of the people in church answering that question, 89%, that's like nine out of 10 of us, said, well, the church is here to meet my needs, man. The church is here to teach me the Bible because, well, I won't admit it, but I'm never going to read it. 
I need somebody to preach it to me every week. And since I'm not going to read it, I need somebody to teach it to my kids too. So I'm going to drop off my kids and I, I need somebody to, I, I mean, the church is here for me. Only 11%, about one out of every 10 said, what kind of question is that? It's obvious the church is here for the mission of God. And look, I, I, nobody knows which one you're in right now, so if I hurt your feelings, it's not my fault. So you've got to decide kind of where you stand. And, and let me just give you permission. You don't have to quit coming. <laughs> Some people are like, well, I was just coming to have my knees met. I just wanted to hear the pastor preach because I didn't want to read the Bible. I'm not coming anymore. No, keep coming. Let me tell you why. We, at least at Grace Life, we are, we are, there are two reasons for what we do. This gathering together, there are two key reasons. And we've even gone as far as to put this in writing so that everybody understands why we do what we do. The first reason we do this is for him. There are too many people too many times that say, I don't like what they're preaching on. I think I'll skip the next three weeks. I don't like those songs they sing. I'll show up 20 minutes late. Well, I don't like that person on stage. I heard she's scheduled this week. I'm not coming this week. And we make it about us. Look, it doesn't matter if you hate the sermon topic. It doesn't matter if you hate the music style. There's a point where God's people come together and say, God, you are great. And that's all that matters. And there are days where we need to get out of bed and come here to say, God, be exalted, period. I don't care what somebody's going to preach on. Didn't matter to me. I don't care what songs they're going to sing. Doesn't matter to me. After all, I hope you like the song. But the other reason is to be equipped for the mission of God. Everything we preach here is to make you a healed and whole member of the kingdom of God so that you can go out and do what he's called you to do. At least that's our goal. That's what we try to do. So we have a simple question to answer as we close out the series. Are you going to be in the 89%? Or are you going to be in the 11%? Are you going to be somebody that recognizes, yes, the church helps you? Yes, the church will meet your needs, and that's cool as a secondary reason for what we do. The primary reason is to fulfill the mission of God that he's given us on the earth. That's what he's waiting on. So I was in Israel a couple of weeks ago. I think you guys know that. I'm not going to tell you an Israel story every sermon, just so you know, for the next several weeks. But one of the places that I went this time, and I went the time before, uh, you know, is it's called Yad Vashim, and it is arguably the greatest Holocaust museum in the world which is expected if the Jewish people made a Holocaust museum, it'd probably be better than the ones anybody else makes. And I missed something in history. I'm a kind of a history buff. I like watching History Channel. I love World War II. So I was kind of surprised that, that I had somehow missed this detail. It's, it's a very long museum. It, it could take a whole day easily. And so this happens near the end of the museum because the museum is chronological because this happened near the end of the war. And there's an entire section of the museum dedicated to the Nazi death marches. I didn't know what those were. I didn't understand what had happened. See, what had happened is after D-Day and after we began squeezing the Nazi forces, they realized their time was near. They realized all hope was lost. And they realized somebody was going to figure out what they had done. And so they began to try and eliminate the evidence. And the best way to get rid of all the prisoners they still had was to have their bodies scattered as far as they could. So they just began to march them through winter, through the wilderness, without appropriate clothing, without food, without water, because the goal was just to watch them drop dead as they went along the way. 
Why am I telling you that? Because just like the Nazis in 1945, the enemy knows his time is near. He knows. You see, gray is turning to black and white every single day through the church. There are things you will never hear about in the news. Millions of Muslims every year are making Jesus their king. God is moving through his church. Just here at Grace Life, we have seen, I think it happened about two months ago. I don't even remember. I've lost track. But we've seen more people come to faith in Christ this year already than all of last year. God is moving through his church to turn gray into black and white. Yeah. That's why the enemy hates the church. And that's why the enemy fears the church. I don't think the enemy's afraid of much. Matter of fact, I think he's pretty stupid. Jesus has my back. I can say that. It's okay. The enemy's stupid. He tried to rebel against God and thought he would win. Is it okay? I'm just going to say that. I don't think he fears much based on the tricks he's already tried. I mean, if you're going to rebel against God, you must not be afraid of very much. But I think he fears one thing. It's the church. I think he's afraid of you figuring out who you are. He's afraid of you waking up on Monday and discovering you are not just a soldier counting your 20 years. He's afraid of you waking up on Monday and realizing you are not just a teacher counting your 30 years. You're not just a student counting your four or five or six for some of you. You're not just a husband trying to survive your marriage. You're not just a kid who quit talking to their parents. You know, what he's afraid of is you're going to wake up one day and say, hey you, watch me today. Watch me today as I show you the manifold wisdom of God playing out on the earth. I want you and all your demon friends to check it out. I'm going to tell everybody about my king and I'm going to bring the rule of my king into my life, into my classroom, into my business into my military unit wherever it is hey you just watch because it's not just another Monday it's another Monday I get to change the world that's what the enemy's afraid of the reason we live in the tension between the already and the not yet is because we have a job to do the church exists to advance the kingdom of God on the earth so let's go be kingdom of darkness crushing members of the kingdom of God I want to close by talking to those of you that for whatever reason have yet to surrender to Jesus as your king. Maybe it is the very issue that we address today. Why would you surrender to a king when there's so much gray and it doesn't even look like he's in charge? Or who knows what your reason is? I don't know what your reason is, but I want to give you an opportunity to change that. I'm not going to embarrass you or ask you to come down front right where you're seated. Would you all join me and pray? Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you thank you that you died, that you rose again, and that you have brought me into your kingdom. I want to live for you. I thank you for your love, your mercy, your forgiveness. And my simple prayer today is that you would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.